Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the GameDev.TV Community Podcast. I'm your host KB, and this podcast brings you the audio experience of GameDev.TV. Now, let's get right into the podcast. Hey Mark, great to have you here. Thanks for coming back. Hey Bindi, uh, great to have you here. Game programming, game programming patterns, uh, very very good book to be uh, sharing the link to. Thank you very much for that. The Coding Spartan. Uh, a lot of, in fact, I've got the physical book over on my shelf over there. So we won't be getting into too many of those patterns. I'm going to be talking about things, and Sam's going to be talking about things on a slightly uh, different level to that. We're going to be talking about uh, how to program into game engines, really, and what what go what goes yeah. where with the capital Z. <laughs> so, shall we start by having a look at the Godot project, Sam? Yeah, let's start by having a look at the Godot project. I'm going to share my screen. I shall leave us somewhere on the screen. That's a little bit of control with Zoom as to where I do that. I think I'll do it there. There you go. So, you've got the chat, guys. You've got Sam. You've got me. Got Zoom slightly misbehaving, and let's do it. All right, so let's open a project. Why Godot? Because it's unfamiliar to most of us. If we start with something that's a little bit unfamiliar, then we can start relating it back to what we know. Mm-hmm. So one thing that's interesting about Godot is if you take a node in the what they call a node here, which you can consider to be similar to a game object in Unity or Unreal. What do you call it in Unreal? They're all actors, right, in Unreal? Uh, Either actors or scene components, I guess. There's some aspects of a node that seems to be a bit like a scene component, and there's some aspects of a node that seems to be a bit like an actor. So... So one thing that's interesting here, and, I, and I've actually forgotten what the case in Unreal is, is that you can only have one script against that particular node or what's similar to a game object. So in Unity, we'd be extending by composition, right? We'd have player movement on this thing, and then we'd have something like damage, and then we'd have something like um, whatever, an invisibility cloak. And you'd extend the behavior of the player through components. You can't do that here because we can only put one script on. So you can't do it directly like that. Uh, Compare that to a, uh, to, to Unreal for a Sam. Yeah, so in Unreal, you would be able to, in this case, the player, you can extend, um, you can ex- essentially extend an actor. So you can do a subclass of actor, which I think is similar to what you're doing here. Um, so you can have a script that is essentially the actor. You can then also have scripts that are scene components, inherits from scene component. Uh, you can also have actor components, so you can have multiple, you could call them scripts, attached to any given player. So yeah, there's um, there's a whole host of tools you can use in Unreal. Okay, so multi, as usual, Unreal gives you all of the all of the ways if, yeah. you, if you want if you want to go down that route. All right. Uh, so Bindi's saying here, yeah, couldn't you, can't you just call another script from here? Yes, you can. You can, you can, and in fact, that's what we're having to do here in Godot. Is we're having to forward on, um, if I go and look at the player.cs, we're having to forward on some of the behavior to uh, another script. The problem I have with that is it means that, remember the single responsibility principle. So look up the solid principles, you guys, on, um, on Wikipedia sometime. Uh, don't expect to get them all straight away and don't expect to apply them all to any given project at the same time, but strive towards this uh, theory theoretical perfection and so one of those is single shall we just recap what they are or do we well not maybe not all of them um maybe yeah. just the the, the s so the is s a... is single responsibility right that's it and what yeah. does that mean to you sam so single responsibility means that there's only one reason to change a class reason is a bit of a fuzzily defined concept there but i think generally it means that there's only one domain specific reason so if you are going in and making a change to how your accounting system works of part of a big you know big company then you can you go to one file and change that accounting bit or you know it, it reasons have a um depend very much the definition of a reason i think depends very much on your specific application absolutely so what what we were talking about the other day sam was the idea that um you never really know in which direction the requirements for a given project are going to be changing, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and that what we like to do is to try and be nimble, not try and forecast ahead too far because you never know when the project's just not going to extend in that direction. Now, you set your whole player architecture up and you can hang all these new components off the player and then it turns out that what the market wants is nothing to do with the extension of the player. The player's fine just as they are, that they want yeah. all these wicked level mechanics and all the, all the architecture you put in place to extend the player may, may, may not only not be necessary for level extension, it may even make it for some reason worse. It may even make it yeah. harder to talk to the player. 
So we were saying that maybe we should be thinking about um, always trying to basically plot the trajectory we're on. So if we start to see, you know, the second, the third time that you do something in a particular direction is the time to start setting up a little bit of architecture to help you in that direction on the basis that recent experience is the best predictor of future of what's going to happen in the future and not go too nuts. Right. So what's your thoughts on that, Sam? Yeah, unless you're in the stock market, of course. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I think that's I think that's a good place to start. Obviously, that temper that with if you've made 50 games before, don't wait to figure out, you know, you've probably got a good idea of some things that are typically always the case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some things just eventually crystallize out, right? As you know, so, 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 so simple examples that aren't specific to any game are every time we put a magic number in the code, you know, a number that's not zero, one or two, basically, we end up kicking ourselves eventually because it ends up in multiple places or we have to change it halfway down the code. And we tend to bring that to the top and make it a parameter. Yeah. You know, or even are- in terms of separation of um, AI and um, user-defined pawns, I think, you know, you've, there's a pretty good standard way of, I, I quite like the way Unreal do it, for example, where you've got a controller and you've got the uh, pawn and the pawn doesn't care whether it's being controlled by AI or whether it's being controlled by a user. And so that's something we've spent a lot of time talking about in Battle Tank in the Unreal course. And that I think that's a quite a clear, you know, if you've got a game that has a pawn and has AI and and the pawn can be controlled by both AI and by the player, there's no point not doing that from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. So so as your experience levels grow, you can you can start to do a little bit of uh, a little bit of prediction, but also you, that can be a double-edged sword, right? You can you can end up using a tools that are much more advanced than they need to be for the complexity of the project. Let the project determine the level of tools you need, not your level of uh, your level of experience. Because remember, it's not just you. There's a whole bunch. There's you in the future. There's you, and there's also a whole bunch of other people you'll be working with. And if yeah. you whip out your most complicated generics and delegates and this and that and the other just for the most simple problem, it doesn't make your code any more readable and it doesn't make it more understandable to other people. So oh, it's often far worse. I mean, that some of the worst um, code in companies that I've worked at before have been places where people have tried to make things super generic and super, you know, modifiable, and nobody wants to touch it because no one understands how it works. So you end up with um, setting systems that are so full of generics and template, well, templates in this case in C++, that nobody wants to touch it. And yeah, everyone wants anything. to rip it out, but no one has, like, no one wants to fix it so you know and the and the person has since left the company so you know it's all that kind of great stuff that you really want to keep to the simplest solution you can afford to keep to yeah nice okay awesome thank you sam so i'm uh, i'm a bit troubled by this Uh, i'm messing around with the 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 images here i'm a little bit troubled by the uh delay here so i'm just going to see if there's anything i can do about it you've already recycled zoom right so let's just have a quick i've i haven't shut it down um and i haven't tested the just the camera link between my computer and here so okay well i mean i'm yeah, I'm happy for you to spend a couple of minutes on that because I think it's I'll probably annoying for people. Give, I'll just dive out of the meeting once. Yeah, sec. and I'm going to do my, route my audio and video a slightly different way as well, so that mine's definitely on lip sync. I'm pretty confident of that. Just get myself adjusted up size-wise, organized into the corner of the screen. Um, now, the interesting thing about about doing streaming this way is that most people, thanks, Mikey, a big thumbs up from Mikey over there. He's physically here, Mikey. By the way, I can probably spin the camera around and show you him snuggled up in the corner. Mikey, give him a sm- give him a wave. You're on you're on camera, mate. He's going to hear it after the stream delay. He's got these headphones on. He doesn't realize he's on camera. Any second now, he's going to go, I'm on camera. <laughs> there he goes. Out the frame. So there's Mikey waiting for Sam to sort himself out. The interesting thing about using hardware, of course, is I can't use any of these flashy overlays at the moment, like uh, like Streamlabs and all that stuff. Hey, Mikey says, irresistible jelly. How are you doing? So I am going to just check, see if I've got anything interesting I can do to fix up Zoom. Oh, I can. I can update it. That got it. That's got to be promising. Fantastic. All right. Going to look through the chat for any questions, starting with subscriber questions. I'm going to put the chat into follow-only mode. It is in follow-only mode. That's great. Uh, in the future, as our channel grows, we will go to subscriber-only chat. But it doesn't mean that non-subscribers can't get questions asked. They just have to get a subscriber to ask their question for them. But at the moment, we're not busy enough for that. There's no point of doing it just for the sake of it.
guys prefix any questions with QSTN. That will be great. When will we get in game programming patterns course, the Coding Spartan? Thank you for your question. Um, we probably won't put out a straight up patterns course, but it's not a bad idea. Um, we normally Im embed this stuff across our courses. The problem we're kind of sprinkling across all the courses, it doesn't necessarily, we don't necessarily end up covering all of the patterns, right? So the benefit of doing a dedicated course is we could do little tiny projects that are really good for showing that pattern uh, and iterate through them. So, you know, I'm going to make a note of that. That's not a bad idea. So it's a patterns course. Um, and you know what? If anybody knows Robert Nystrom, otherwise I'll reach out for him, maybe in cohorts with him, maybe he wants to... Um, he wants to review that for us and make sure that because we could actually, you know, say say this is a course on game programming patterns and do his uh, book a good service. So so, yeah, that that is a possibility. Yeah. Thank you for the suggestion. And that mean way we get all of the patterns and we don't miss any. Hey, Sam, welcome hey. back. So um, Sam, say something for lip sync. I'm going to. Yeah. My so video. this uh, this is pretty much as good as I'm going to get it on my end, I think. I okay. All the USB things that might be interfering like oculus equipment hopefully yeah well. is that what's going on? sam's got so much technical stuff hanging off his machine that um that yeah cool. yeah the usb networks are all saturated basically is that what's going on yeah well yeah it can be yeah, it's a, yeah. all the different host interfaces like you've got three pretty high bandwidth usb three and you, can't, uh, and you can't just unplug them or something i have oh you have yeah wow. so that's that, that's why I mean it's as good as it's going to get, I think. So the computer's just remembering the pain of the past. Okay, so I've just been answering questions. The Coding Spartan has asked a good question. By the way, you guys can hear Sam right now, I presume. Michael probably give me another thumbs up in a minute. He's the most immediate feedback. I don't even have to wait for him to uh, type the answer back. Um, mm -hmm. Mike's starting to talk about Blender environments. We want to try and keep it... Uh, here you go. So I'm back here. Uh, duh, 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 where were we? So it, somebody asked, is there a course on game programming patterns coming up? And I initially said, well, no, we tend to sprinkle that between all the other courses. But really, we're never going to get to all the patterns or it's not going to be very easy to consume all the patterns. So we could do a course at some point or a series of dedicated projects designed to do. show each of the patterns. Yep. Possibly somebody give me, give me a replicator and I'll just clone myself. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, no, I wasn't suggesting you do it. I no, 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 I'm just saying, like, I'd love to do it. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, me I think too. For all of us, we, we um, struggle to yeah. have enough time for all and of this. Enough people. Because some of the content we make, which is why we're steering away still a little bit from intermediate, because it just takes so long. It's taking, it's, it's just, it's really fun and interesting to make. And medium term, we want to do loads of intermediate. Um, but it's just balancing it right now. You know, we need a few more beginners to feed the intermediate stuff. Yeah. All right. So, so where were we, Sam? We were talking about um, we were talking about ex how, what direction you extend your code in. Let's uh, let's just look for any other questions, and then thank you, by the way, Rob G eighty eight for subscribing with Twitch Prime. Mikey was saying it's hard to uh, link your Amazon Prime account to uh, Twitch. It can be uh, just persist. Sometimes you have to go to Amazon itself. Good dance, Sam. Yeah, that's my dance for you, Rob. <laughs> cool. What's Rob saying? I've not quite got to the bottom of the stream chat yet. Good evening to everybody on the chat. By the way, 45 people here, which is great. Also feature creating other rooms. Yeah, there is a subscriber-only room, by the way, subscribers. You're welcome to go into that room and have a chat. We don't go in there that often. I'm not going to show you it to everybody because it's a secret room. Um, but there is a subscriber-only room for you to talk amongst yourself. Other people agreeing that the Oculus kills bandwidth. Yeah, they do. it certainly does. So Twitch Dog, Sam, I don't know if you'd like to read Twitch Dog's question and then we'll... we'll um, We'll address it. It's just about three or four up the up the chat. Yeah, in a bit to reduce string references, um, but you have to. Uh, is that the beginning of the question? I think so. You have to have at least one copy of the string and can't, e.g., in C sharp, enum it out entirely. Is that a good way to keep like or even better than a static class? with static read-only strings that can be accessed by name. Something that's been bugging me. Yeah, so this was the discussion we were having the other day slightly, wasn't it, Ben? Yeah, um, we... Yan has just implemented um, a static class to hold all the string references in Godot. That is one possibility, is to bubble them all up to one place. Yeah. I mean, that depends on the size of your project, because eventually you're just going to have an unwieldy large class that has all your string references in the same place. 
I definitely agree. Don't copy your string references more than once. So don't have free. It depends what are you using the string references for, right? So if it's for a C-sharp project, then it's worse because you've got a lot of refactoring tools. You've got a lot of compile time checks that you are disabling effectively by using string references. If you are using a dynamically typed language anyway, then essentially all the um, variable names that you use in a dynamic language are string references, basically. And they will be checked at, um, at runtime just like every other string reference. So they'll fail at runtime. So um, in that sense, it can be not so bad. So I often advocate in a dynamic language, just try and make sure that your names are consistent. You still there, Ben, by the way, your yep. video is gone. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I've just stopped um, it because I'm in two places for them, which they don't really need. Okay, fair That's enough. more than enough. More than enough, more than enough, Ben. Yeah, so, um, so what I advocate often is to have just one name when it is one thing and don't try and conflate things. So I think we were seeing uh, in the Godot project um, a few things and then some things that were, you know, some were string references and some were variables that were called the same thing and were the same thing as well. Yeah, um, there's the, so the balance to that as well, though. So the, so the concrete example of this is like the player script is called player and then the player node, you know, the game object is called player and then the player a layer is called player. But to call a player layer player layer is a bit is a bit unnecessary when you've got the context there. So it's a balance, you know, we don't want to be calling the player script, yeah. player script. But, or the player so the reason node, I advocate that is for ref the, the reason I advocate that is for refactorability. Because yeah. when you're refactoring or re changing a name, you're not going to be going, you're not going to be in context for each of those things. So when you go through and you see player, you're saying, is this the player layer? Is this the player node? Or is this the player class? You know, it is they're three different names. Um, and if I change, basically, if I change this, will it, does it matter for the other names? Are they actually referencing the same thing, essentially? Yeah, and this is why I like having strong typing, because we, we can use refactor tools then, and we don't, you know, the, the, the compiler knows what the type is, it knows what symbols it can change, we're not relying on a, on a find and replace, so. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. Yeah, not not in every case. But the other thing is asset binding. We need to be a little bit careful what we if we when we're doing what I call asset binding, which is when you're telling your code where to go to get a particular asset. That's generally mm -hmm. better done in the inspector, in the inspector in Unity, in the inspector in Godot, in the inspector in Unreal, or oh, in Blueprint in Unreal, because yep. that is where your all your asset management happens there, right? All your folders are there, all your assets are listed out there. It seems to be that makes the sense. That's where you bind it to your to your code. And often the there is asset management going on in the engine. So in Unreal, for example, you rename an asset, it will go and find all the references automatically for you as long as they're in Blueprint and rename them for you. It won't do that in C++ code. Yeah. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, and there's a general, general simple mindset behind this, which is you knowing how hard to push on striving to make your life easier without making it harder, trying to make it easier. So you do something and you go, oh, this is a pain. I want to rename this. And it's difficult. So you try and find a solution. So do push on that solution and push pretty hard um, and probably much harder than you think. But don't completely stop yourself in your tracks. You know, keep keep moving your project forward. But do speak yeah. to other people, watch streams like this and try and find out. Are there, if you get this feeling that there's got to be a better way, there's got to be an easier way, there probably is. But keep moving your project forward and then continue to search for that better way. Because remember, yep. a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. You may be the best string reference avoider in the world, and yet you can't do simple marketing or simple logo design or simple uh, gameplay design or simple level design, and your whole game's never going to get off the ground. So just keep it in, keep the big picture in while you're focused on this tiny thing of like a string reference. Yeah, keep in, keep. Or what I often do is trying to um, make make sure you take lots of breaks and get. Um, have moments to zoom out and do other tasks that uh, give you a bit more perspective because it's so easy to get honed in on trying to solve this particular issue or trying to make this code look perfect. And if you zoomed out for a second, you might say, hang on, this is good enough for now. Let's move on. Um, but you know, have to take that with a, you know, the opposite, which is don't forget to spend time when it's necessary as well. 
Uh, awesome. Thank you very much, Sam. So Mark is saying he thinks he knows where the sync issues are coming from. I'm only skeptical, Mark, because I've got sync issues right here on my machine. Sam is coming through really delayed before it even gets streamed out. But you're saying I you're seeing some issues family. with the Terra deck. What do you think those issues are? Sorry, Sam, you said something, but I couldn't hear that. Oh, just um, that I, I assume I assume it's to do with my cam link on this end. But yeah, I mean, you're you're really delayed to me. So um, yeah. I'm, so I'd love to hear your suggestion, Mark, because it's probably gold. Um, on the other hand, um, I know I've got a problem before we stream out because I'm getting it right here. Hey, next time, Sam, you can come and sit physically next to me. We're only down the road. We should on the occasional. I guess it's difficult this time of night, isn't it? But, Very uh, late. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, he wants to see his wife at some point. Yeah. But do tell me, Mark, about those Terra uh, Link thingy deck streaming seti things, and I shall see if I can do something about it. I'm not sure that it's that. Cool, guys. So from the discussion we've had so far, have you got any questions or comments or feedback on uh, what we've said so far? And then we can we can talk about looking at some other other bits. We have had a question, a couple up, um, non-subscriber question, but we won't put it, hold it against you, the coding Spartan. Um, is hot loading assets, e.g. changing shaders during runtime, frowned upon? Sam, do you want to have an initial answer of that while I scan my Camlink settings for hot loading assets changing shaders at runtime so well so a shader needs to be compiled first of all so presumably doing the, the compiling first of all um could you clarify your question a bit coding spartan i mean like what's the context like i think there's there's a lot more context to be had here in the question so Generally, I guess, you know, hot loading it at runtime is just a question of whether you load it when the level loads, I think, or whether you load it when it's needed. And that is just going to depend on whether you've got a shader that's only used at a particular level of gameplay or whether and whether you've got lots of shaders that you want to swap in and swap out, so you want to save on memory and they're expensive shaders. But uh, otherwise, I can't really say I've got a particular answer to your question here, Coding Spartan. Maybe you can um, give us a bit of a, of a better example or a more exact example. Yeah, awesome. That would be great, just to clarify that a bit. I seem to have unleashed uh, Leaf Hell on the chat. So uh, Twitch have just approved our first customer moat, which is our GD Leaf. I've also got another uh, cunning little idea, which I've just tested, which is I think we can put a QR code inside some of these custom emotes. So what we're going to do is we're going to think about, for some of the more advanced ones, popping a QR code in there. And then that QR code will give the first person to, to enlarge it and scan it access to a free course or something like that. Does that sound a bit of fun? Anybody want to do a bit of a QR code work? Uh, you've got to do a colon first, E-slushy, e S-slushy. E e uh, yeah, colon, not a bottom, but a colon, yeah, GD, and then it'll start to help you from there. So our prefix, guys, is GDTV. So all of our customer modes, as, as the subscribers come flooding in, we unlock more and more customer modes, and uh, then we can uh, create more, more variety there for you. So mm -hmm. it probably is only for subscribers. That's probably how it, it works. It is only for subscriber, yeah. yeah. Oh, look at you guys. You guys subscriber can... benefit. This is pretty, is it narcissistic? Is that the word? I think it is that we're sharing ourselves with our own logo. <laughs> it's not, at least it's not our own faces. That is an idea. That's got to be the next custom emote. <laughs> Who wants to see a Ben Tristam emote face? Oh, that my, my face was going to be the last to do it. It was going to be yours. I was going to do yours and Photoshop the hair out. Oh, and we need to do the, um, yeah, that's, that's what you, that's fantasizing. Roll the stream back five seconds, guys. Somebody's got to clip this. Sam, that's eyebrow asymmetry. Here, I'm hitting clip. <laughs> Check it out, Sam. So, yeah, that's what we need to, that's what we need an emo uh, emote of, if anything, I'd say. Uh, yes, absolutely. Let's do that. <laughs> Sam and Yan. That's, uh, have but it doesn't kidding? allow faces. Aww. It doesn't allow face. Oh, no. That's, uh, th that's why they have to approve them. Okay, Sam, I'm sure my kids have got a book called Sam and Yan, or is it Green Eggins and Ham? I'm not sure anyway, but it sounds like that. Spam egg and ham, according to Mikey. So let's have a look. Wrong button. Let's have a look at the. Let's just stimulate the conversation with something new. I'll share my screen, Sam, just so you can see uh, what I have on it. Let's have a look at some other aspect of this project completely and talk about that and what patterns um, it inspires. You guys aren't expected to understand this project or be following what's going on. Doesn't matter. This is coming up in the Godot course, which will be out soon. By the way, the Godot Kickstarter was here, just for those of you who came from Twitch. Oh, by the way, um, can you 
pop in the chat who is here from Twitch, who is not one of our students, is not on one of our Udemy courses, is not a game dev student. Um, if you're not a game dev student or you're new to us and you just stumbled across us on Twitch, you're like, who are these weirdos streaming? What are they talking about? Uh, we're talking about how yeah. to make games rather than just play them. Um, that's what we're talking about. Any of you guys, um, any of you guys like that? Anyway, I mean, we don't... sorry, Sam. I mean, we don't expect many of you to be like that. We expect probably that most of you are students, but um, it would be really interesting to know it would if anybody isn't. Yeah, because Twitch tells us that quite a few people on our streams are not from our direct traffic, but... Uh, how they count that traffic could depend on lots of different factors. Hmm. So, I'm so gonna... Ben, you in the Godot uh, setup, you've got these things called signals, and I thought ah, that, that was, was where... quite interesting. That was where I was going next. You red, you red, blue, and green did my mind. I'm going to leave the um, the bits the bits leaderboard at the top. They're just goading you guys to to do bits stuff. So here we have Spike's top, this Spike's top script, and let's go and get it. Declares something called a signal. It's actually, oh, this is the C sharp, but that's okay. In C sharp terms, it's a delegate. Um, in the Godot terms, you just say signal hurt. That's the typical GD script being simpler. Um, and then you have this signal. And then what you can do is you can wire these signals here in the inspector, and you can say, well, uh, where does where do these signals how do you route these signals around the engine? So what's the equivalent of that in Unreal, Sam? And, and then I'll talk about it in Unity and we can talk about the whole signals and maybe touch a little bit on the observer pattern, which is a little bit different to signals. This is more of a service locator, I think we figured out the other day. No, I think we said it was closest to an observer, actually, in the end. Did we? That was, that was I thought, what we finished off on. We had but, a, um, a big debate about it, didn't we? It's a... Um, mul it's a delegate in Unreal terminology as well. There's a various types of delegate. You get multicast um, and oh, non remember these from the dynamic tank. and non-dynamic and so on and so forth. What did we Stack. use these guys for in the battle tank? I, I distinctly remember spending time we with multicast. We used them for, having, uh, for handling events from... Which way was it? Yeah. I can't. Well, I can have a look. So I've got Battle Tank here. So oh, I'm yeah, just going to go and find it, and then I can. Um, I yeah, can and maybe share I'll get it. Godot off the screen, and you could share a little bit, um, a little bit of uh, Unreal Engine in a minute as well, and I could get some yeah, Unity up. Just gonna set up my screen scaling and whatnot so that uh, people will be able to see. So what I'm showing you on my screen for a minute is Tilevania from the 2D Unity course, our fun little uh, 2D tile game that Rick and I put together with this little dude jumping around. Um, whoa, it's running fast. That's running strangely fast. Maybe Rick's been maybe Rick's been doing some play tuning on here. And I don't think we use anything that is anything like the observer pattern on this game. I'm just having a look and seeing if we do. I'm guessing most of you. Which engine are you guys into? In the chat, slam down uh, your yeah, favorite what's your engine. Favorite engine. In Unity, Godot, Unreal, or dare you say some other engine that isn't one of our um, isn't one of our favourites and not one of the chosen and the chosen few. You'll still be welcome. We won't judge you. Oh, just a little bit. Back at fifty foot is pretty much preferring Godot right now. Who else have we got? Whatever, whatever preferences. Sam's going to whip open an Unreal project in a moment. I'm going to try to. I'm not actually sure whether we use delegates in battle tank we certainly do in the rpg i'm a bit afraid to open the rpg it's been nine months since i've opened it i'm going to start streaming it next week um but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna and the first couple of streams you'll see on the event series are going to be me like what on earth is this project about and how does it work and then we'll get into it properly i think i will open on uh, the rpg because that's going to show you a little bit of delegates see look i haven't had it for so long it's not even on my machine at the moment so i won't open it right now oh yeah so i've got um I've got some battle tank delegates. Let me oh, share. Awesome. So Sam's going to share his screen. I'm going to try and manage Windows the best I can, juggling. Mm -hmm. Everybody's juggling, juggling. Can yeah. I so what I've, what I've got here is we've got a delegate um, for death, basically. So the way a delegate generally works is that it inverts the dependency from the execution flow. So Typically, when you call a function, you need to know something about the, the interface of the thing you're calling. So you have to have a dependency on the thing you're calling. But often that's not what you want. So for example, if you want to signal that a tank has died, maybe there's multiple things that are interested in that, and maybe there are multiple, and you don't, as a tank, 
care about the reload system, you don't care about the respawn system, the or multitude of other things that are going on in your game on that particular event. So a delegate inverts the dependencies by saying, I'm going to put this placeholder thing, delegate, in place, and I will call that when I die, and you guys subscribe. So this is very much the observer pattern. So I can go ahead and have a look where we're using this, for example. I think it's probably not in too many places. So there are two places. It's the AI and the player controller class both use this. So this is why we wanted to make, you know, not have to write. The, the alternative would have been in the player tank to say, if I'm controlled by an AI controller, call its tank died method. If I'm controlled by a player controller, call the tank died method on that. So that would be the alternative and it wouldn't be so cool. So that's why we used a delegate in this case. And you can see that they are having to register themselves. So don't worry if you can't read C++, but pretty much what this is saying is that the tank that's possessed, we are adding a uh, controller, a, um, a handler for this, which is this method on possessed tank death, and then it does whatever is specific to this function. Start spectating in the case of the player. In the case of the tank, I think we just disable something. Yeah, we just dis detach ourselves. So that is, that's an example of a delegate, which I think is what we're saying is the same as a signal in Godot. Um, it's very similar. Yeah, I mean, I'm always reluctant to say things are exactly the same because I'd like to know the underlying implementation before I, before I say that, but it's very, it's very similar. Then yeah. wiring up. It's a it's a it's a broadcast style message sending. It, it's it's a similar thing, and it's quite an interesting. Is it broadcast so you can send to multiple things as well? You, I need to check that in Godot whether you can actually route it to multiple places. I think you actually can send it to a sing only to a single destination, if I remember. Right. Let's have a look. Yeah. So this was the only delegate we used. I yeah, think. I think that's right. Yeah. Yan will know. Yan's not on the stream this evening. He's probably busy. Well, he's probably busy at this time of night having a life, but um, or a different life to his work. But he's probably busy uh, shipping Hoppy Days right now. So we've signed off Hoppy Days is, is code. He's done a huge amount of work to make it amazing. Um, I'm really impressed with what Yan's doing. So uh, he's probably busy busy shipping that right now. So in Unity, it's a similar thing. We have um, we we subscribe to delegates in a very similar way. We have an event keyword in Unity because we need to be very careful in Unity when you say um, you, you have something like on player death or something like that. You'd have an on player death delegate list. And you need to be very careful you don't overwrite that. The, the problem if you don't use the event keyword in C Sharp is you can just overwrite the entire delegate list. So one guy can come along, register himself, but not just register himself and add himself to the list, but can just wipe out the entire list. So C Sharp has something called the event keyword that protects against that. It says that you're allowed to add yourself to the list, but you're not allowed to wipe out and overwrite the list. So do use event when you're creating delegates in C Sharp. It normally, normally makes sense to do that it would be a bit odd to to have something come along and the whole point of this decoupling is that once you've set up and said as i say a player declare that you've got this death uh, message that can go out that you don't really want something else to be to come along and just wipe out the list of things that subscribe to that message it just doesn't make any sense in general there may be some cases where you want that but i would start with the event keyword and remove it um consciously rather than starting without it and then wondering why on earth you've got this really weird bug yeah and I don't think there's such a thing in um, in the multicast delegates at all, as Instance. far as I'm aware. So how do you make sure, if in your code, how do you make sure that you don't wipe out any other uh, subscribers? Don't wipe them out. Don't <laughs> wipe them no out. You just have to be a bit more careful. Yeah. Because C++ people are professionals. They would never make that mistake. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, they, I'm not talking about C++ here, because obviously a dynamic multicast yeah, delegate is very much an unreal, unreal thing, yeah. concept. Uh, I'm sure there's some things that you can do in C++ or you implement your own observer patterns, but you could certainly have different interfaces and you only expose a certain interface, but under the hood, it's actually a subclass of that interface where you can add and remove. So, you know, you have different interfaces from different points of view to the same delegate. So that would probably, it would be possible to do that sort of thing. Awesome. 
Awesome. So um, we'll pick up one more pattern. We'll try and find something that Sam can talk to for a couple of minutes because there's something that I can only test live, which is I want to try testing bit poles, which is where we want to start getting lean, even leaner and liver feedback on what Udemy courses we should create next. We've had a few questions that why are you doing so much Twitch streaming? You're still making Udemy courses. Our entire focus is making Udemy courses. The reality is that we make about an hour a week of actual Udemy content. If you look at our long-term production rate, it's about an hour a week. So you might ask, what are we doing for the other 100 odd hours a week? Well, we're preparing to make those one hour a week videos or reworking them or supporting the videos or or doing something towards those videos. They just take time. And a lot of that could be valuable to you guys. So we're streaming it right now. What are we doing? We're making a stream that we probably wouldn't otherwise be doing, but we would be having these conversations. We'll probably relax into this and have even more bleeding edge conversations with you live on Twitch. Uh, this is a yep. bit of a rehearsed conversation. We kind of know what we're going to talk about. Some of the best conversations are where Sam and I sit around in my kitchen, but we could sit around on Twitch, even in my kitchen. Um, and we have really good in-depth and uh, conversations where we kind of beat each other up mentally. And the same thing happens with Mike and the same thing happens with Rick and the same thing happens with Jan. So those things will be really interesting to see. So what we're trying to do is lift the veil and show you behind the scenes what's going on. Anyway, one of the things we want to do is um, say, for example, what should Mikey do next? While we wait to be able to do Python, do you want him to do Blender environments or Maya, for instance? And one, way, one of the adages I have in business is that that you've got traction on something if people consistently part with time, money, or information in response to your offer. Well, you're already parting with your time. You're here on the stream. Thank you. Uh, we've already got your information in, in a way. Uh, what we want you to do is part with tiny amounts of money to vote. So that would be a bit poll, a voting system where you have to part with a few bits in order to say, yeah, I want you to make that course. And what's more, I'm putting a few cents on the line to say that this is the course I advocate. And it's not just so we can make a few cents. Those things will make us a trivial amount of money. But it's so that you are committed to say, I'm going to actually spend a few cents now and vote for that idea. If they mm -hmm. then become strong ideas, we'll make the course like fast. Um, and I'd like to try that in the next day or two. We've got a stream on Wednesday with Mikey about this. So, um, and I might test it in this stream if we get a bit where Mikey can, uh, where, where Sam can talk for a few minutes. Yeah, sure. Sounds yeah, cool. we'll have to figure out what that can be about. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to test it live. I'm not sure otherwise how to how to test it. There's not really a proper testing harness on on Twitch. So, Sam, a couple of questions for you there. They're both from subscribers at the bottom. So, do you want to slam yeah, them out? Fine. Okay, let's start with the first one, Bindi. Oh, this um, is a good idea, by the way. Just sorry, two seconds. You could prefix questions with the leaf instead of QSTN now, and then that would uh, be cool. only if you're a subscriber. Yeah, but we're trying to. This is a step towards subscribers being getting question priority. So <laughs> there we go. As yeah, we, we could have a question emoticon. That would be good. Yeah, we could. We could replace the leaf for that. Yeah, we that could have a big question good. mark. We could have a leaf shaped question mark. Okay, go for it, Sam. Yeah. So, is there anything in GD Script that you can't do in C Sharp, to your knowledge? Well, technically, they're both Turing complete programming languages. So, no. But then a lot of things are Turing complete programming languages, including LaTeX. So that doesn't necessarily answer your question. Um, so I guess performance is often one of the things that isn't taken into account. So obviously, GD script, you can't make GD script run as, as, um, as quickly as C sharp. That's definitely something you just can't do. Uh, sometimes, most of the time, in fact, that won't matter because what's going to matter more is your programmer productivity or the, your ability to um, you know do the main stuff in GD scripts and then just focus on those few really uh, hot loops and make that work a little bit faster. So that's uh, that's probably my answer to you. I mean, yeah, otherwise, I, I'd, like, I'd like to add to that. Um, you can't be as concise in C sharp as you can in GD script in terms of mm -hmm. the shortness of your code. And there are some things, and I'll classic toy example right now is importing data from a JSON file when you don't know the structure of that data. Is it an array? Is it an array of arrays? Is it a dictionary of arrays or whatever? If you're doing that, you don't, you need the methods that you create in GDScript are naturally generic. They, they, they will adapt to the type and very, very, very concise code. In C Sharp, you've got to write individual, um, depending on what type of JSON parsing libraries you want to use. But that's just moving the code somewhere else, right? So if you ignore using other people's libraries in C Sharp, you've got to write separate code for every type of data you want to import. So there are a few things where you're really using the dynamic typing. Uh, and can you think of another classic example, Sam, of using the dynamic typing of, of GDScript that would really mean that you're doing something that you can't really do in C Sharp? You can always do it with more lines of code, but can you do it as elegantly as quickly? Sorry to put you on the spot. 
You can say no. I'll come back to you. Yeah, I'm just trying to think if there is anything. I'm going to warm up my face. I think, think basically that's that's got to be the main thing, right? Any kind of there's there's a lot of stuff around duck typing just in general that can lead to far more concise code. But as you say, you can do all of it. You can generally work around it. Hell, you can always go and um, just cast dynamically things in C-sharp and you're essentially then down to a dynamic language. It's horrible, but you can do it. So you've always got that power and to, to avoid the type system if you want to and just use like essentially void star pointers. I don't know what the equivalent is in uh, C-sharp, but uh, I think it's an object type. You can yeah, just cast Yeah, you've been messing around with the object type recently when, when dealing yeah. with these JSON. Uh, and okay, you can do dynamic dispatch of methods. So you can just say, call this method if it exists, because it's got C-sharp's got a great introspection system. You yeah. wouldn't be able to do that in C++, for example. You wouldn't be able to take a random object and try and call a specific method on it because it won't know what the address of that method is in the program at compile time. It just can't, it can't know that because it, the information has been lost about what the method name was once you compile a C++ program. So yeah. in that sense, GDScript and C-sharp are much closer because they keep that information and you can call stuff at runtime by the method name. Yeah, and we sneakily used the uh, reflection system when we created Terminal Hacker. We gave you we gave you some methods you could call like right line and stuff like that. Terminal dot right line. You guys may remember that, and that was using the reflection system behind the scenes yep. to just magically allow you to insert that method into any 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 class, and it would work. All right, so we have got another question here from Trip Trioptikon, I think is the word right. Yeah. Thank you for being a subscriber. Thank you for being a moderator. Awesome. Um, I'll answer, ask it, you answer it, Sam. Would you looking at, would you looking at, we'll go with that, having your own course platform in the future? I'm not a big fan of Udemy in general. Uh, maybe, maybe, but Udemy, I don't think anything else is much better. Um, we may be considering for intermediate content, putting our own stuff on Teachable, uh, which is uh, which is another place to host it. And then we would white, la white label that, but not at the moment. Uh, yeah, unlikely to be building our own. But yeah, sorry, you were going to say Ben. No, well, you were going to answer, weren't you? So we're not going to be building our own, but um, what does it try Opticon you don't like about Udemy? I'd like to hear, because um, we're mm. really committed to Udemy. We love Udemy. And then uh, Coding Spartan, while, while Try Opticon comes back to us, Coding Spartan's got a question if you want to grab that one, Sam. Let me find it. Yeah, so what does the Testing Grounds Remaster entail? Uh, and in September, you announced an environment modeling course. Does this whole mean the course has, could be postponed? Let's answer part one first then. Yeah, no, I'll do part um, two. Testing Grounds Remaster, basically completely redoing Testing Grounds is what that would entail. I think um, we've st not decided yet, but current thinking is it would still be a first-person shooter and it would probably be more along, less along the lines of the proc gen, procedural generation. I think with that wasn't particularly well covered in that section. So we could do without it and instead spend more time on doing some more animation stuff, doing stuff that's a bit, um, a bit yeah, nicer. Yeah, stuff people want, like weapon pickups, animation, uh, those, a few things like that. Yeah, yeah thanks for reminding me. Yeah, I've, I've totally forgotten, but things like weapon pickups, exactly. Weapon um, recoil, maybe. Like you know, just a few classic things, and right? Weapon switching and, yeah, inventory, all that good stuff could be potentially in the remaster instead of what I think was, you know, an interesting idea of doing the uh, procedural generation, but it wasn't very procedural. Um, to do that, you, we really need to do a different course. So I, I feel like there's a bit of a gap in the Unreal course at the moment to go further into detail. Yeah, of, without uh, adding too much more detail so that we end up making the section just as big. The issues we have with the section is it's too big and it's too meandering. It does things one way and then does them another. It drags you through the mud a little bit too much. So, so yeah, that's exactly. that. Now, the other half of that question, unless you've got anything else, Sam, to say there? No, that's all I had to say about that one. And um, the other half of the question was in Blender environments. No, so, so we, we are committed to doing Blender environments longer term. It was going to be longer term. It was on our plan for a year or two from now. Um, really stringing it out. But we are in a situation now where Michael has just added a whole new section to Blender characters. Please take a look at that, Udemy BCC. Whole new section on animated characters. And he is now available to unleash his awesome teaching on something else. 
And the question is, what is that something else? And we just had a discussion about it today. We considered a bunch of things, and it looks like the most sensible thing to be doing right now is Blender environments. So um, that's what Michael is starting working on right now. So we, unless something changes, we're gonna have a stream on Wednesday. We're gonna be asking you some questions, getting you to vote for it on Wednesday. And if there's enough interest, then we will crack into Blender environments uh, much sooner than planned. And we don't know how big that course will get. We're not promising it will get, promising it will get huge because we want Mikey to switch his attention to Python once the RPG momentum is up. But certainly for the short term, Michael is on Blender environments and it's gonna be awesome. That's indoor environments, outdoor environments, props for the environment, all the stuff we're gonna need for the RPG will be working together a bit more closely, which will be fun. He's been recording a talking head today, wandering around in my garden, looking at a, like small, what, what would you call it? Coppice like tree scenes and stuff. So. So that's mm. going to be an awesome course. So come to the stream on Wednesday for that. I think, uh, I think it's already ended up on Twitch. If it hasn't, Mike is going to be putting it there soon. So any other questions? We could go back to one of these projects and get one last piece of inspiration, and I think we'll wind up after that. So one other type of paradigm. We've talked about uh, extension by, um, by adding multiple scripts to an object, that is composition versus aggregation, where you have to put a single class and then yep. start to delegate out or call out to other classes. We've talked about signals and the observer pattern and how that might work in Unity. Is there something else you'd like to talk about this evening, Sam? I'm wondering whether we could have a look at the other parts of the solid. So, um, yeah, we uh, could bring, let's bring solid up on the screen. Yeah. Open, close, Liskov substitution. Yeah. So let's have a look at another. Let's just go through them. So single response. Sorry, Sam, go ahead. I'm just trying to remember what the other bits of the acronym are. It's uh, yeah, terrible. Yeah. I forgot. So I think we briefly just recap single responsibility. The, a class should only have a single responsibility. Another way of saying it is a, a one reason to change. Yep. But remember that the reason, there can be a whole load of different classes of reasons for something to change. And you wanna make sure that the, the changes that you're getting, you have been getting recently in that direction, that it's set, you're set up to continue to take those types of changes because they're the most likely ones to come next. So. Mm -hmm. You can't make something set up so that for, for any type of architecture you set up, we can always contrive a change that is really, really awkward for that architecture. Um, and if you make it so generic that you can pretty much allow a change from any architecture, then you end up in the position that Sam talked about earlier, which is this code that nobody wants to go anywhere near because it's created by somebody that's too clever for their own good. So then the next one is the idea of open closed principle. Software entity should be open for extension, but closed for modification. Um, I don't like that one as much, but I'll talk to it after Sam's talk to it. Um, yeah, go for it, Sam. Hello, open closed principle. I'm Sam. Good to meet you. Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'll talk about it maybe, not to it. Um, the um, yeah. So let's see. It's an interesting one for sure. Um, I think this is generally saying that you don't want other pieces of code to actually modify your class directly. So what you can do is, for example, in some programming languages, I think it allows you to patch objects or classes and add extra methods to them. So the actual class itself, not a subclass, will have different behavior depending on what modules are loaded. I think that's kind of what it's going for. Okay, so I mean, this is a bit, this, we should do one of Jan's videos. Jan's had an idea and we're doing a video which is, what is a game? And then I come on for 10 seconds and say what I think a game is and then Sam says what he thinks. We could do the same with solid principles, that'd be fun. So what I'm taking from open close principle is the idea that you, um, that, well, it's what it says, that you leave a class open for extension, but not for modification. So you make the thing, the player, and then you go, right, the player's done. If you want the player wants to do anything else, we're going to have to add other code files to extend its behavior and leave mm -hmm. the player alone and not change that player class, which is in some ways a noble. What's good about that is it's saying, you know, keep don't, don't even have a player class because it's a god class. Have a player movement class and then have a damage class and then have a, uh, or, or have a, you know, gamer control class or a fireworks class or whatever. And then don't just keep allowing it to grow unboundedly, but make other components or aggregate other things into it as you want to add new behaviors. But to not to strictly not change the original thing at all, 
is at the risk that that class ends up inconsistent with the rest of your code base. It ends up looking old and out of date. It ends up that you could make a small tweak in there that makes a huge difference to the simplicity of everything else. So I wouldn't go mad over it. Um, you know, if there are other developers crawling all over that class and making small tweaks to it all the time, maybe you want to stop that. Maybe you want to stop everybody trying to be on the same code file and create version control clashes. Um, but just consider that maybe the consequences of going back to an old class and modifying it aren't that bad and it actually could be called refactoring and tidying up your code. Yeah, well, I think you have to remember that uh, a lot of these principles, and especially the open close principle, was first written about in 1988, and a lot of basically a long time before uh, a lot of object orientation principles were in in you know actually being used uh, and polymorphism and polymorphic abstraction and stuff like that so um i think it's typically these days talking about using abstract interfaces and concrete implementations basically so you are closed to the change of interface so the interface doesn't change you have, you know, a, I don't know what, what's a good example of an abstract interface. Maybe well, you have the tank, a, the tank control, for example, had a nice simple interface. Yeah, exactly. The, the tank control, but that's not particularly an interface. I'm thinking of something where you'd have multiple things. I'm, I'm thinking maybe an inventory system. You will have inventory items, which you can equip or unequip. Um, and you want to basically be close to extending that interface. You don't want to change how that interface works but you want to be able to extend it by having more objects of, of that type being able to create a new one. I think that's potentially what the open closed principle is about. Yeah, but old principles, all of these are old principles, so don't, you know, coding changes rapidly. Like comments, comments are moving. You know, are we d dispatching with all comments? No, but remember that a bunch of comments that may have been in code before are now in version control, for example. So there's this meta layer on top of your code where every time you commit, you're putting comments to what you've done, why you've done it. So that, that stuff that used to maybe be in code because it was the only place for it and now is in your version control. Things, things change as the, as, as the tools change over time. Mm, yes, and as the understanding changes, but it's good to look back at these things. They are often... Um, yeah, got, the solid has been around a long time, and as such, it's quite st stood the test of time as well. So you could say it's solid. Mm, it is. Okay, so Keith has a question, then we're going to start winding up. So uh, one problem with Godot, at least for me, is figuring out what the nude, I thought you said no, noodles, what the nodes do. The Godot documentation seems a bit limited. Uh, some nodes are well documented, but others sketchy. Uh, do we know anywhere else to find more info? Obviously, our Godot course, when it comes out, will give you, give you some good uh, gen on that. The other thing that Sam would probably do would be dive into the source code and be brave enough to go and look at that. You know see. what I was going to suggest. I mean, I do that all the time with Unreal, and I, I get the impression that maybe Godot is slightly less scary than the inner workings of the Unreal Engine. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so with an open source engine, don't be afraid to go in and look and see what it does. And if you've got a better idea about what it does and how it does it, then ah, contribute to the docs. It's a community spirit. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely um, a good thing to do. Google, you know, Google ultimately is a great place to start because it aggregates the results across the web, as you know. Um, yeah, so go for it. All right, guys, I think we're probably start. I was going to test that poll, but I think we'll test the poll some other time as it's yeah. off topic. I don't know whether we want to take any more questions or a yeah, few questions. We'll last, wrap up. last one, and then, uh, then, then we'll wrap up for the evening. And uh, thank everybody yet again for being here. Do look at our Twitch events page. I'm just going to show you that now. I'm just going to talk about uh, how you support us on Twitch and what we're doing here. I'm going to remind you that we're here to try and add extra value to what we do elsewhere, but our primary focus is uh, Udemy. Um, I want to remind you that they've got a forward slash events on our page, which shows you all the upcoming events. I'm starting to do the RPG stream, um, which again is all about producing the course, but this is a bit of behind the scenes. We're going to be playing a game on Friday night. Most of us will be there, not everybody. Stick fight. Um, thanks for the suggestion, yeah. Jan. That's cool. Thank you, yeah. PH3R63. I'm looking forward to being in a future one, though. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it this Friday. Yeah, that would be cool. That would be great to have you there. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I've been, on the weekend, I embellished our channel page, putting a bit more information in about us. 
Um, so the deal with subscription you can see here under some recent subscribers. You can see the benefit of subscribing at tiers one, two, and three. Thank you to the tier three subscribers. We'll be reaching out to you in about a week or so when Lucy's back from holiday, talking about how we're going to be doing your live online code reviews here on Twitch, which can be a huge yeah. benefit to you. Monthly live one-to-one -one well, one-to-one really -one mentoring with everybody. Some of those code reviews because we'll be able to take completely fresh code and dissect it in front of all you guys. It's going to be really cool. So uh, Irresistible Jelly is excited for the 6th of July. I don't know what's happening on 6th of July. Maybe it's one of our events. Um, oh, okay, stick fight the game. Okay, awesome. So glad uh, that's what's happening. Uh, remember that if you have Amazon Prime, you can subscribe for, for the, to our Tier 1 membership without paying anything. You've already got Amazon Prime. And uh, Tier 2 is going to give you a link to your actual uh, Twitch account if you're trying to build your Twitch channel here on the homepage. You'll be supporting us at a higher level, much higher level, because we not only get uh, it's not only more money, but we get a higher proportion of it. And uh, you'll, get pr pr you'll get priority in the chat as we see those subscribers come through. So that summarizes our Twitch subscriptions. Uh, what else to say? Thank you very much for being here. Another 50 of you here tonight. Really appreciate your support. Uh, thank you, Mark. You're amazing. You're basically on every stream. You're, you're, we're going to have to come and physically meet you one day. Wherever you are in the country, we're going to come yeah. and hug you down and, and, yeah. and hug Don't you or something it. very touchy-feely. <laughs> He's running now. He's leaving the country. Okay. <laughs> Quick, update my passport. Let's get out of the country. So do our, cover, do our courses cover the issue of serialization? Um, we are starting to, yes. The Unity RPG and the, um, both the, the 2D Unity course as well. We talk about, uh, we talk about serializable objects in Unity. Um, the Unreal VR course covers uh, serialization. We've got a save game system that we're, that's going in the latest section at the moment as well. Yep. Okay, cool. Awesome. So these are the courses. I'll list them out. Udemy, uh, this one here. Uh, Udemy, uh, the VR course, um, Unreal VR. What else covers serialization? The RPG will cover serialization. Um, and actually, we do inverse deserialization in the Godot course, which I haven't got a link for right now. But of course, um, go and have a look at the Kickstarter and then keep an eye there for when the course comes out live. So yeah, more and more we'll be talking about serialization and deserialization and super important in game engines. I mean, so much of it is actually going on under, under the hood all the time and you don't realize it. So we're going to touch on how, how to actually realize, realize it in all of these places in different ways. Yeah, there's huge meat in Sam's Unreal course, by the way. So if you want to push yourself, even if you haven't got the hardware, I recommend you challenge yourself to take the Unreal VR course without I'd the really hardware. I'd really like somebody to do that. So I, um, I have been making the course thinking that you have the hardware, you will have the um, headset and so on and so forth. But there's, I've been realizing there's so much good stuff in there that I've had to cover because we haven't covered it elsewhere. And it's such a shame for people who don't have the hardware to miss out. So what I'd really love is for some brave soul who doesn't have the hardware to go ahead and take a risk on the through it doing you know modifications as needed to the project for not having that particular input method and it would be really interesting to see i would like give major kudos to whoever does that um potentially even like we can do a live stream with you and talk through what you've done that would be fantastic please that would be awesome can we can we like how can we how can we motivate or or, or thank somebody for doing that? We we'll give you a call. We can certainly give you a free, if any free course of your choice if you go through the Unreal VR course without the headset. And we could uh, give them a couple of months that. of um, of our top tier subscription or something like that. Yeah, we can probably give them. A, yeah, exactly. We can gift Twitch Prime subscription to you guys who are amazing. Yep. Who likes the idea of embedding hidden QR codes into emoticons? Do you think that sounds weird, fun, or somewhere in between? Let's hear in the chat. Weird, fun, or somewhere in between. Oh, all the questions are coming now. Look at this. Should we answer them? Probably not. It's a bit late. I'd love to. Love to answer, answer all questions. Where are you seeing the questions? I'm not seeing many prefixes with QSTN. No, I'm not. But I'm seeing question marks. Actually, they're not really. They're just chat. There's not too much question marks. Okay. A free. Oh, you know, we're going to do merch. There's um, Amazon allow us to do merch. I was almost designed up a T-shirt earlier today. Uh, or, you know, like a, those type of things. But I just held back because it was going to suck. But we'll, uh, I'm going to talk about it in the team meeting and then we might well allow you guys to buy merch so you can all have Game Dev TV mugs on your tables and, and sweatshirts hanging off you. Uh, the cool other thing we can or do lame, is... that's the question. So yeah, that'd be good for us to know. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing we can do is become Amazon affiliates. I nearly signed up for that.
value right now. Uh, and then now people are asking, what's this microphone and what's this and what's this? So I think we probably will become Amazon affiliates and list all that on the page of the Twitch uh, page as well. Then if you want to go and buy any of this stuff, like the Rode Podcaster or the PSM one or the whatever headphones we're wearing, we've got a load of cool gear and we spend a lot of time, particularly Mikey, he tends to buy... Uh, Buy something, keep it about eight seconds, sell it, buy another one, keep that about eight seconds, and then repeat until he ends up with the perfect thing. So Mikey knows yep. the best gear because he drags himself through the mud. Yeah. No, I always go and ask Mikey if I want something new, <laughs> like the new computer I recently built. So that's working very nicely. Yeah, and you can share all the parts to that. Um, mm -hmm. But if you hide the QR code on the screen, that's cool. QR code seems fun. People would like to try it. Um, awesome. Guys, we're going to end the stream because I want to spend some time with my family before they're completely unconscious. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, everybody, for being here. We really appreciate all your support. Big thank you thingy. And, um, yeah, see you on the next one. Yeah, see you guys soon. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. You can find all GameDev.TV courses at courses.gamedev.tv courses or in the show notes with a 10% discount. Get started with your game development journey today.